Um, tonight's passage will be from James chapter 4, verses 13 to chapter 5, verse 6. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you, sorry, and, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, it's always um, useful to have the the passage open before us uh, as we think about it tonight. And um, what James asks us to do is, in a sense, what all of us are going to have to try and do tonight. And that is on a a warm Sunday evening uh, to try and pay attention. Because that's what he says, in effect, twice over uh, in this passage. Um, Verse 13, come now, chapter 5. Verse 1, again, come on now. He says, uh, let's listen, let's pay attention, let's really focus on what requires uh, to be said. And of course, um, James is being absolutely true to form here. Um, This is his characteristic style. Uh, He doesn't tend to miss people. He's very straightforward. He's very very, uh, blunt and to the point. There's no ambiguity. You can't be confused. You can't miss what he's getting at. It's extremely uh, straightforward. And he's really looking at two classes of people divided with these two uh, statements. The first one, he's talking about people who he describes as being boastful or arrogant. You see that in verse 16. And then the second classification of people uh, are the wealthy, chapter 5, or the the rich in a particular way, and we'll we'll get to that. So let's let's just look at this then. Um, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade, and make profit. Now, He's, he's not speaking per se against business people. He's not talking out of hand about people who plan, strategize, make the most of opportunities, think about their business, think about things going forward. That's not really the point that he's making. The point is people who go about that kind of thing with a presumptuous attitude, with a a boastful and an arrogant spirit while they're doing that. 
And so he says, you really have to pay attention here. And there are four things, as you can see, that uh, we're going to look at that we have to pay attention to in this passage. And the first one that he talks about is he says, you really have to pay attention to your life. And that will, that will preserve you from this kind of way of thinking. And, and what he says about all of our lives is this, that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And, uh, you know, that's not a, a threat. That's not something to strike fear into hearts. It's just reality. None of us have that crystal ball that knows even what a day will, will bring forth. And uh, what he says we have to do is to consider what our lives actually are. And it's uh, at times good. It's uh, at times healthy. It's not particularly morbid. But it's something that's worth doing from time to time because we tend not to do it very often. To just think about the brevity of our lives. As he says here, what is your life? Our life is just like a mist. It's just like steam off the kettle. You know, that uh, very quickly disappears as far as the whole context and perspective of God in his greatness is concerned. These people don't look on things that way. They look upon themselves as the masters of their own destiny. They are in complete charge. They think they're indestructible. They're in control of all of life and its circumstances. We're going to do this. We're going to make money. We're going to go there. I'll control it. I'll control it all. It will all just fall into place. No, no, he says. Don't have that arrogant outlook in life. Consider that your life is transient and it is just like a mist. Pretty similar to what the Lord Jesus talked about in that parable. You remember about the rich farmer? The rich farmer who said, you know, I've got so much going on here. What will I do? Um, I'll pull down my barns. I'll build greater barns. And I'll say to my soul, eat, drink, be merry. You know? And God said, you know, you're a fool. Now, we've got to remember that when the Bible uses that word, it uses it in a different way than we do. It's not just thinking of intellectual capacity. It's, it's a moral thing. You know, he's foolish because this, this very night your soul will be required of you. And then whose shall all these things be? We have to take eternity. We have to take our soul. We have to take God into consideration in all of the things uh, of, of life. Now, as I was thinking about this, and you might want to turn here, my, my mind went to, to Psalm 90, um, which... which touches on this very point of of our lives and that's the great passage it's a prayer of Moses the man of God who talks about the greatness of God and in verse 3 of the psalm he says you return man to dust and say return O children of man for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night you sweep them away as with a flood they're like a dream like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening it fades and it withers. Verse 9. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70. Or even by reason of strength 80. 
Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Verse 12. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Not folly, wisdom. As we consider that question about the brevity of life. Pay attention, he says, to this. Second thing to pay attention to is the whole concept of the Lord's will. You see what he says here. He says, verse 15, instead, this is what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. That I am, in fact, not, you know, the master of the universe and control of everything. Everything does not revolve around me. I have to take into account God's will, the Lord's will. And, and that's the thing that should be uppermost in all of our minds, of course. I mean, that, remember the Lord, when he taught his disciples to pray, as part of the prayer was, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it is the Lord's will. And the, and the Lord's will is not some mysterious concept that is difficult for us to, to work out. The Lord's will is, is clear. You know, in fact, you may want to go and, and have a look at some of the verses. Look it up in, in a concordance, um, which tells us about aspects of the Lord's will. So, for instance, you have in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is the will of God for you. It's your, it's your sanctification. It's talking about purity in life. 1 Thessalonians 5.6 says this, give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances because this is God's will for you. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you silence the ignorance of foolish people. And there are other examples of that. God's will is, is plainly laid out in Scripture. The first thing, actually, as far as God's will is concerned, is that we all come to repentance and live. You know, because God does not will the death of any, but that all should come to him. And so these are the things that are part of what constitutes God's will. And that should be in our mind. And that should be our attitude. That's what he says that we should waken up to and pay attention to. Uh, it shouldn't just be a little postscript. You know how you sometimes hear people say this, God willing or, or DV, Dio Valente. I knew somebody actually who thought that meant weather permitting. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's the will of God that should be taken into consideration. Point number three to pay attention to is, is sin. Now, I, I raise that one because there's a definition here of sin that is perhaps surprising to us in verse 17. He says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, we're perhaps more used to hearing some of the other definitions in Scripture. You know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which is true. We fall short of God's standard. We miss the mark. Or sin is the transgression of the law, the breaking of the law of God. But here it is put in another way. And sin, therefore, is defined in this way. 
If I know what the right thing is to do, and I don't do it, it's sin. And, you know, you could apply that to all the things that he has talked about already in the book of James. But specifically, you can apply it to what is here in this particular section, spoken to these people with this kind of indestructible attitude that doesn't take into account God's will. It's sin if you persist with that way of thinking about your life and don't think about its brevity. The fact that God really is the ultimate one that you should pay consideration to. It's sin if you do it that way. Now, of course, that brings a much, much more acute awareness of what sin is, I think. You know, sometimes we can be slightly complacent. It's a little bit like the Pharisees who thought they had everything all mapped out. And then the Lord Jesus, he spoke to them in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, well, this is actually what lies behind the law of God. This is what lust, this is what murder really is. This is what adultery really is. And he drills right down into it. And so when we see what sin is, and we all see how far short we've come of this definition, of course, it, it gives such greater perspective of our need for Christ and his death that we've been thinking about, that we have been remembering tonight, and how Christ and his grace meets all of that, all the things that we have failed to do that we know we're right to do. And then the final point that he he comes up against here is uh, the whole idea of riches, and this is the kind of second come now, be rich. Now, he speaks about the wealthy quite a lot, actually, in the book. You probably remember in chapter 2, um, it seemed as though the Christians were a bit intimidated by the rich. And, uh, you know, there was the rich man that they gave an elevated position to, and the poor man that they weren't treating quite so right. And he's talking about the whole idea of partiality and, his, and how that should not take place within the church at all. And now here he is, and he's addressing them again. And it, it, it may well have been, and it, it would appear to be the case, you know, that these people are sitting as part of the congregation to who this letter is being read to. Um, of course, it's always been the case when the so-called church meets together that it's been a bit of a mixed multitude, if I can call it that. Not everyone, as we were learning this morning, just because they say belong to the Lord, necessarily do so. And so he gives this message, this general message, and some who listen, maybe believers, some some may not. But this message comes with the full thrust and full force of the honesty of, 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 of James's commitment to giving the word of God to them. And he's very forthright. When he says to them, you know, you, you, you gotta think about, you gotta be thinking about your, your wealth, your riches, and how you obtain that, and what, what this wealth has done as far as your, your thinking and your attitude and your behavior as far as others is concerned, the effect that it's had upon you. Uh, so, so let's look at some of the things that he says. Now, there's a big contrast here when he talks about, uh, the misery that is going to come upon them in verse 1, compared, verse 5, to the luxury and the self-indulgence 
that they currently are living their life in. It reminds me actually a little bit about, about the rich man and Lazarus in uh, Luke chapter 16. And uh, the rich man is addressed in your lifetime. You, you know, you had great wealth uh, while Lazarus, you know, lay at your gate. And now these things are reversed. Um, and so for the rich who do not consider God and his will, there is this, this tremendous contrast that is made between their current lifestyle and, and what lies before them. Something else that's said about them uh, in verse number 3, which is uh, taken up from the life and teaching of Christ. You see that it says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Now that is really something that's taken out of Matthew chapter 6. James must have been listening carefully to the words of our Lord Jesus because in the Sermon on the Mount he said, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven uh, which will not corrode, which will not perish, which will not waste. And of course we can, we can do that. We can lay up treasure in heaven by going in for the things of God and uh, giving time and and commitment and resources uh, to the kingdom of God and the, the honor of Christ. I was, uh, as you know, in Albania with uh, Angela last week, and we, we visited one of the, the museums, um, which was called the Torture Museum. Uh, you know, it was an atheistic country officially till 1994, and they tried to stamp out religion totally, not just Christianity, but uh, Islam as well. And, and, pe- and the people were, were tortured in these cells just down the road from where Elida was brought up. She said, I had no idea that all of this was going on at the time. And they posted up in some of the individual cells that certain people were in extracts from letters that they had written. And there was a big one in one of these cells. And it said, I'm paraphrasing slightly, uh, you, you, you're going to kill me, but I want you to understand that it is an honor for me to die for Christ and that the gospel of Christ can never be stamped out and you will never, you will never kill it off. And of course, you know, Inverhojka is gone, you know, but the gospel of Christ is advancing today in Albania. We can, we can give resources to treasure on earth or treasure that is to be found in heaven, because there are corruptible things, and there are incorruptible things. You know, we've we've been thinking about the precious blood of Christ tonight. And you remember how Peter puts that: we've not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but the incorruptible, the precious blood of Christ has redeemed us, as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. A bit of insight is given because, again, it's not just rich people, wealthy people that he's denouncing. It's people who have become rich in a particular way and who have a particular attitude to things. And what it does tell us about these people, verse number four, is that they had obtained their wealth through fraud. It says, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back, by fraud are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters who you didn't pay, who, whose wages you kept back, 
They have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. In justice, the cries of those who are downtrodden and oppressed, they reach the ears of the Lord of the hosts of the army of heaven. The, the greatness of the God of heaven, he hears the, tra- the cries of those who are weak and downtrodden. And really what he's saying here, um, and this is into next week's message, verse 7, to those who are on the wrong end of these people, who are suffering in this way, uh, these, these people have been condemned and in a sense murdered they're, they're weak. You know, they can't defend themselves. Those who, are, those who are rich in this way, who abuse their position of, of power, who have control over them, uh, they're not able to stand up. They're not able to resist them. And everything seems so overwhelming. And he says, but remember the Lord of hosts hears. And then he says, be patient. In all of this, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. And that's, of course, an easy thing for us to say, but it is the message that comes to us from the Lord. And uh, James has been very much a student of his master who spoke about all of these things. Um, and uh, he, he brings this out into sharp relief here. And yet these are the people that Christ came to die for. And we've been thinking about the importance and the power of the death of our Lord Jesus tonight. Jesus, who couldn't have been more different than the people who are described here. Not arrogant, not boastful, something, someone who didn't control, was not overbearing, who came in humility and gentleness and consideration, and yet he gave his life for the sake of people who were like this. That is the power of the love of Christ that we must never water down and that we must never diminish. And these are the things that we should pay attention to, all of these things tonight, because they are as important for us tonight as they were back then. James does not miss his mark. He didn't miss it then. I trust he hasn't missed it tonight as he speaks to us about these important, straightforward, very practical things as far as what it means to be a follower of our Lord Jesus. Now shall we pray and then we'll sing our final hymn. Lord, we thank you uh, for these words that waken us up. Um, It's easy to be complacent and to feel that we are doing just fine as far as the way that we live our life. And, And James wants us to be realistic and to see what the standards are. And to see what it really means to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and be like him. And so, Lord, help us to take these words to heart tonight. And help us to follow our Lord as James would remind us to do so. We pray a blessing upon your people. We thank you for all your goodness. Thank you for directing our attention to the Lord Jesus tonight. For our memory of him. For this memorial of his death once more until he comes. And for us too. Help us to be patient in our circumstances until the Lord comes, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.